First Timothy chapter six. And this morning we're going to be reading from chapter six, verse eleven, through to the end of verse twenty-one. And for anyone who was here last week, we we spent the time unpacking the verses that we read from verse two all the way down to the end of verse ten. And just to put a little context and remind ourselves what we were looking at last week whenever we unpack this, this portion as a warning of uh, the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And it is a warning not to be like others who claim to be shepherds, pastors, teachers, or even disciples of Christ, Christians, whatever terminology you want to use. But they're doing it for their own gain. They're doing it to lie in their own pockets. They're doing it and he warns Timothy not to be one named amongst them. He also says how this desire for money, this desire to be rich, leads people into massive temptations and ultimately highlights how the craving for money is the root of all evil. So just to get the context of four before we're, what we're going to read, we'll read from verse 6 where it reads, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, and pierce themselves with many pangs. Now again, the context here is Paul speaking to Timothy at the church at Ephesus, as we've looked at. Paul at this stage is at Macedonia, writing to Timothy, longing to come and to help Timothy finish the task that was instructed to him whenever Paul was still there, to put the church right, to get the church eldership in the particular, the leadership of the church underneath the authority of the only authority that we come underneath as elders, which is the authority of Almighty God through His Word. It is the weight of God's Word that defines what we should be as a church. And what he said to Timothy is that there is many of those who have been and part of the fellowship, the Bride of Christ, who have known truth, who have held to the faith, but they have set it aside for their desire of wealth, for their desire for money. We said last week, it's not that there is a problem with having money. It is the problem comes with a desire to be rich. And how through that desire to be rich, you will take every kind of shortcut that you can possibly imagine in order to get those riches. Many people, as we looked at last week, you can commit any atrocity, any evil, any sin that you want, normally can be committed for money. If you want to get off of a charge, you can bribe a judge with money. If you want someone killed, you can pay someone for them to be killed. Whatever it is that you desire, normally money is there and is the root to whatever evil that the devil wants to accomplish in this world comes through the love and the craving and the desire for more and more and more. If you remember last week, we looked at how there is Right now in our own time there is the prosperity gospel but there's also the poverty gospel. If, you're, if you are a Christian you should be rich, wealthy and healthy. If you are a Christian you should be poor, humble and somehow downtrodden. And how he said neither of them are a true reflection of scripture. And there has to be that sweet spot for every person who is a follower of Christ. That if you are rich you're content. If you are poor you're content. But if opportunities avail themselves it does not make you compromise your faith 
faith, then by all means it is a blessing of the Lord and that you are to do so. The problem comes is whenever you have to start to compromise. And we need to keep that word at the forefront of our mind before we read the remainder of this passage. It is the term compromise. It is the compromising of our faith or the compromising of our integrity or the compromising of our knowledge of truth that leads us down the path of many pangs and leads us into ultimate destruction and can ultimately lead us away from the cross of grace and mercy and truth and love and lead us into aberrant and false gospels and lead us into places that we may think we are saved, think we are right before the Lord, but yet we've fallen into the Matthew 7, 21 camp of Lord, Lord, did we not? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this is being set forth continually throughout 1 Timothy, a reminder, a stirring by Paul to Timothy to stand firm in his faith. I know for everyone in this room this morning, this is a constant battle, whether you're an elder or whether you're a disciple of Christ. It is this constant press by the devil and the demonic influences of this world to compromise. The church at every facet is being pressed to compromise. Compromise on God's interpretation of marriage. Compromise in God's interpretation of sin. Compromise in God's interpretation of what it means to be holy, set apart, godly. What it means to be a woman. What it means to be a man. All these things that have been defined by God can easily be compromised for the sake of money or the sake of numbers or the sake of relevance or the sake of being in and amongst the culture. We see it all the time with regards to worship or anything else within the church. We think back to two weeks ago, whenever we unpacked the beginnings of chapter 6, where we looked at how people will desert the faith and give themselves over to false teachings and false doctrines. It's the, the exact same mirror image what we see in chapter 4, where it describes demonic teachings and demonic influences. So all that has set the stage for what Paul is about to say now to Timothy. And as I said, we're going to fly through this. There's an awful lot of scripture to get through. But I'm going to spend a bit of time in the beginning stages of what we're about to read. And hopefully then everything else will unfurl. Realistically, we could spend another two, three months just unpacking the rest of this passage. But as I said, we're desiring to start uh, the Gospel of Matthew before Christmas. So I'll endeavor this morning to give you as much truth and depth as I possibly can. But as I said, it may be a stage where you might want to come back yourself and study it further. So with this imagery of do not compromise, we then read what is given to Timothy by Paul in verse 11. But as for you... So he's just listed here those who have given themselves over to the desires of money. That through through, uh, craving this they have wandered away from the faith. But as for you. So immediately here this is a wake up to Timothy. You are not to be named amongst them. And he says as for you. And he uses a term that we only see three times in the entirety of the New Testament. In fact. Only really twice in this format and one another that we'll look at in a moment in Second Peter. And he uses a term that we see over 70 times in the Old Testament. And it is the term, O man of God. He sets Timothy a dramatic statement by penning this in his letter where he calls Timothy a man of God. As for you, O man of God. 
This is an entitlement given to Timothy by Paul of what it means for what he is doing. You are not someone there who is trying to get himself up the corporate ladder. You're not there to impress me. You're not there because you are eloquent in speech. You're not there because you can uh, demand and, and control a crowd. You're there because you are a man of God. Now for many of us, if we think of that terminology, that puts Timothy here in the same camp as Elijah, Elisha, David, Samuel and the prophets throughout the Old Testament. They were people in the Old Testament who were given divine truth and divine warnings and the word of God in their mouths, prophets, and they were to proclaim the word of God. They were men of God. And what he's saying here is that you, O Timothy, are a man of God. You are not a man of the world. You're not a man of the demonic. You're not a man of devil, the man of money, the man of cravings, the man of lust. You, O Timothy, are a man of God. Set apart for one thing in life, and that is to proclaim God's word. You have nothing else to do apart from proclaiming God's word. You're going to put the church right by proclaiming God's word. You're going to set people free from demonic oppression by proclaiming God's word. You're going to be seen to be a man of God, and a man of God has one duty and one only, and that is to be a proclaimer of truth. So therefore for us, When we come to this, we understand he's speaking here to Timothy, who at this stage is taking on an eldership, shepherding, pastoral role. But it's also the same thing that we see if we're going to turn to 2 Peter in a minute. The same imagery that's used for everybody who confesses that they are a follower of Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a man of God or a woman of God. You are set apart for one purpose. You are to glorify God in this life through the proclamation of truth, the adhering to truth, and standing upon his truth. You are to be known as a buttress and a pillar of truth. That's what he's already said to to Timothy in this letter. The church is to be a pillar, a buttress of truth. You are to be a man, a woman of God. You are to be known for truth, not error. And this is, again, emphasizing what has already been said. If you remind ourselves of 1 Timothy, turn very quickly back to the beginning of 1 Timothy, verse 3, chapter 1, verse 3. Paul sets out the letter in reminding and stirring Timothy as to why he is there. And he writes, verse 3, As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines. That's why you're there. You're not there to tell me how many people you're baptizing. You're not there to tell me how big the church is growing. You're not there to be able to juggle the church finances or to have the vision statement for the years to come. You're there to stop false doctrine. You are a man of God and your duty and your job as a soldier of Christ is to end and to fight and to labor against those that peddle and proclaim a false gospel. You are a laborer of truth. Any different doctrines, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote quarrels rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. A pure heart rather than a sinful heart with sinful desires. A good conscience rather than a conscience that is wrecked 
with guilt through sin. You are meant to be a, have a sincere faith rather than hypocrisy. You are meant to be the complete opposite of what currently is there claiming to be a man of God. Hypocrisy through the proclamation of something that is not truth. Hypocrisy as they're not even hearing it to themselves. They have a conscience that is seared through their own sin. And they have desires that are not of sinlessness. But a desire that is to indulge the flesh. And to cover it over with a blanket of false truth. False interpretations of the Gospels. And a false interpretation of Scripture. And a false depiction of Christ and God. That is why you're there. That is why we read this. That is why we desire to know what the church is meant to be like. This is the church that God has set forth through Christ. A buttress and a pillar of truth that desires to know doctrine and the word of God more deeply. That is why I or the elders are called to be part of this church, to lead this church. We are here to teach you and to instruct you with all love that you can be set free through repentance. You can be set free from aberrant teaching. Fight the good fight. Labor with us and help us to help you, to help us to glorify God through truth. That is how we choose a church. That is why we join a church. That is why we choose those whom we want to be under with regards to leadership. So that's the, the, what's set forth for uh, Timothy in chapter 1. The same rings true as I, as I mentioned already. In chapter 4 he once again goes over the need for Timothy to be in Ephesus. Chapter 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. It's important for Timothy to know. There is going to be those people who today say they love Christ. They love his church. They love the gospel. And they know truth. They will depart from truth. Because deep inside themselves they still hunger and thirst for that which is not godly. Some will depart from the faith. By devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the incisory of liars whose consciences are seared. For who forbid marriage require absences from foods that God created to receive with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. He lists a couple of things there but ultimately every single thing that is entering into the church today that is not reflected in Holy Scripture is a teaching of the demonic. There is so-called pastors, so-called elders today who are proclaiming that which is not truth but that which is a lie. They're proclaiming that which is of the devil rather than that which is of the, which is of the Lord. Remember this. Be ready for this. Fight against this. Same is true in what we read in chapter 6 verse 2b where it says teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And again for many of us we have all I am sure have been pierced by these passages in 1 Timothy that we've read at. With regards to the roles of women. With regards to the roles of men. With regards to what we're called to be as a husband. With regards to what we're called to be as a wife. With regards to what we're meant to be in purity. and love. And every other facet that we've looked at. All of us I'm sure. Myself included. Have been heavily weighted down by these verses. But what we need to make sure. Just as Timothy has to make sure. Is that we don't run after. And search after other people. Who can nullify these things for us. And say that they're not for today. Or even to say that 1 Timothy isn't even written by Paul. 
To say that no, women can be elders. To say that no, men don't have to love their wives as Christ loves the church sacrificially, giving themselves completely up for her. All these things are given to Timothy and given to us as instruction of truth by God that cannot be questioned, that cannot be argued. It is his word divinely written through many different authors throughout the entirety of life and history of this world given to us in the canon of scripture for our instruction. That's why if you turn to uh, 2 Timothy with me, we see this term again with regards to, O man of God, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. This is what it reads. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That is one truth we cannot shake. For any of us who confess to be followers of Christ, the word of God is what you're holding, whether in your lap, as a Bible, on your phone, if you're reading it off that. This is the word of God. And after all, the word of our God will stand the stead of time. It lasts forever. It is always enduring. It never fades. It never ends. All of Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Supplement that, if you will, man or woman of God. Yes, it is, te- is, it is teaching what elders and pastors and shepherds should be, but as we know, you cannot be a pastor or an elder until you have mastered or are trying to master through grace all the implications of Holy Scripture. Therefore, all of this word, everything that we have in our hand, is given to us for training, to equip us to fight the good fight. Now, when he says that, O man of God, it is echoed, if you turn really quickly, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It's not the same terminology. Some uh, variants have it, like the King James Version has a better wording of it. But it says in chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. No true word of God, no true prophecy given by the prophets was ever produced by anything that is of man. That is why in the Old Testament, if you dared say, Thus says the Lord... And you claim to be a prophet. You claim to be one who has divinely heard the truth given and spoken by Almighty God himself. And you proclaim something that is aberrant or false to that. You are to be killed. We do not mess with the word of God. That's why he says, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But people, but sorry, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those who are men of God, women of God, if I am a man of God, it is not my job to stand up here on this pulpit which is set apart for speaking truth. It is up here for me not to give you eloquent points about my life or my interpretation of how this may apply. It is my job, my job alone, to tell you what the truth is in the passage. Verse by verse, word by word, working our way through it and then taking apart and upon ourselves all the implications thereof. Not because it is my desire to believe it. It is because it is truth spoken by God, divinely given to us, penned by, in this case, Paul to Timothy for the church of Ephesus and the church of all time. That being said, we'll go on 
where he says, O man of God, flee these things. Now that word flee, the Greek word is the, is the word we get fugitive from. It is you are going to be, as a man of God, a fugitive. A man on the run. If anybody remembers back to the film by Harrison Ford called The Fugitive, you will know what it is like to be a fugitive. You will be a wanted man. You will be on the run continually from all the, abs- uh, the, the abstract or the wrong things that we have seen depicted in this uh, letter, this epistle to Timothy. You have to be a man on the run from the wants and the cravings of money. You have to be a man on the run that desires to have a large congregation to glorify himself and to be lifted up. You have to be a man on the run from all things, whether it be lustful intent, stealing, false uh, accounts, whatever it is, you are to be a man known to be running away from all the things that are the entrappings that other men have fallen for. The devil is after me and you. He is seeking to destroy the church. And he would love nothing more for you to give yourself over to any one of the things that is named in here. To be given over to a false interpretation of what God has defined of whether it be leadership or marriage or roles or what it may be. He wants you to give yourself over for the sake of your own pride, for the sake of your own integrity, for the sake of whatever it is to give you the false truths so that you can peddle them on behalf of the devil and the demonic. It may not be each uh, every person here will stand on a pulpit and do it, but you will do it every day with every person that you meet when you're asked to compromise. You're to be... O man, a woman of God, whether you are a pastor or an elder or whether you are simply a follower of Christ, you are to be known as a fugitive who flees from false teaching, who flees from false doctrine and who flees from the very thing that wants to entrap you with all kinds of pangs, which is the love of money. Therefore, you are to be a fugitive. You are to be on the run And when you're on the run, he then goes into what you're meant to be running from is everything that we read within the context of this epistle and the entirety of Holy Scripture. You are to be known of someone who will face difficulties as Paul did when he was shipwrecked or beaten or he had nowhere to stay because he was a man known to be on the run from everything that was worldly. He ran from the world and he then tells Paul, or sorry, Timothy, what he's meant to run to. Flee from these things and pursue So as you're on the run, as you're seen by your co-workers, family and friends to be someone that does not indulge in those things, someone who is constantly a fugitive running away from sin, you are to be also pursuing ahead of you righteousness. A word very seldom used in our own culture. A man or woman of righteousness. A man or woman of godliness. Faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness particularly steadfastness if we had time we could turn to second timothy and why that was penned for timothy i believe because he was started to become and given over to the desires of the flesh because all around him there were those telling him you are doing what is wrong this can't be the way timothy look at all the people who are leaving the church at ephesus How can they all be wrong and you, a 30-something-year-old, be right? Flee 
be a fugitive, get on the run, run from anything that is peddling you a gospel that is compromising truth. Even if it is a tiny bit compromising truth, run from it because it will snare you and capture you and give yourself over, as I said, as a warm, comforting blanket of aberrant truth. They will take the word of God and they will twist it. And they will make you see what they want you to see, which is nothing as to what God wanted you to see. Through false teaching, you'll be able to indulge the flesh and have the false assurance that you actually are righteous, godly, holy, set apart. You'll be like these people, Timothy, Gary, and everyone else here, and all the people throughout the church history. Run from it. Pursue holiness and righteousness through the reading of his word, which is the enablement that we have for renewing our mind to truth. That's like our introduction. We'll try to get through the rest. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach unto, uh, sorry, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ which he will display at the proper time. He who blessed and only sovereign the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. He goes into a doxology, and as I said, we could spend many weeks unpacking that. But what he's saying here to Timothy is, remember who you are and who you are in the presence of. There is only one who ordains and controls your life, and that is the only sovereign, Jesus Christ. The only one who dwells in unapproachable light. The only one who is unseen and no one has ever looked upon. God Almighty is whom you serve. You are a prophet of him, not of man. You are not a prophet of the demonic fallen angels who will receive their due portion. You, O Timothy, stay fixated on the second coming of Christ. Stay fixated on what your job is. Proclaim truth no matter the cost. In knowing that whatever happens to you is completely in control of he and only he who is sovereign. No man can take your life, Timothy, only whenever God says it is time. No one can strip away anything that you have unless God has given them the ability to do so. Stand firm, therefore, in the truth and the knowledge that he who is sovereign has called you, elected you, and given you the charge to proclaim truth. Do not lie to yourself. And think for one minute that in order for you to live a life that you need to be able to live, you have to give up truth or compromise in any shape or form. If you are to be rich, Timothy, God will give you riches. If you are to be poor and downtrodden, then that is your cross to bear. If you are to face that we're going to see now in this season, whenever we look at the birth of Christ and we look at someone who was told horrific consequences of being chosen by God whom was Mary whenever she was told you are a virgin but you will birth the only true begotten son of God you will give birth to Emmanuel the Messiah Christ but yet everyone will see that you're not married you will be perceived to be a harlot 
you will have the truth completely screaming in your mind by the devil, giving you over to fear that you're going to lose your only betrothed husband, Joseph, whom you love, that your family will turn aside to you, and in fact, you could be put to death. And yet she said, whatever God wills, and she went into a song of praise. That is who we are to emulate, not to be like Mary, but to have the same Holy Spirit that she had, that we now have, that Timothy has, Paul has, Elijah had, David had, all the men and women of God throughout history that faced massive odds against them could stand in one truth. God who is sovereign, if you have chosen me for this, then you will give me grace and mercy and more so endurance and steadfastness. Verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And again, he emphasizes it here. Tell those who are rich, they are rich because God has given them the money for his glory. It is nothing that they have done. It is not anything that they have within themselves that have given them the stature that they now possess. It is all of God who has sovereignly given all things to them for his glory. Therefore tell them, do not be haughty, but rather be humble in the presence of God to see why, O God, did you choose me and give me all these things. And God's answer would be to glorify me. That's why he says, do not be haughty, nor to set their hopes in uncertainty of riches, but set their hopes on God, who richly provides us with, all, with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to use their wealth that God has given them, to glorify him, to spread the gospel, to grow the church, and to make sure that everything that they're doing is ultimately for God. To be generous, ready to share. Thus storing up treasures for themselves as good uh, foundation for the future. So that they may take hold of what, uh, of what is truly life. In other words, those who have money, like most of us in this room. We are called by God to use it for his glory. That's why for many of us we give ten a tithe of our income to God no matter what it is we give a tithe of our income we do not give ourselves over to the thought of well maybe I'll compromise we'll stand firm in that I'll use what I have for the glory of God knowing full well that everything I have has been given to me anyway storing up treasures for myself in heaven verse 20 O Timothy Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble or contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Do not succumb to those that peddle a compromised truth. To those who say I am a doctorate or I have a master's or I have whatever it is. I am a philosopher. Whatever it is there is only but one truth. And a fisherman from Galilee could get it, and you, Timothy, could get it. Do not be swayed by those who call themselves part of the circumcision party, or those who were of the Pharisees, or in our day and age, those who are of high standings. They either know truth or they don't. 
If they're peddling that which is false, even though they can have massive followings, huge congregations, massive buildings, and millions and millions and millions, if they are not preaching truth, run from them, be a fugitive from them, run as if your life depends upon it, and run to my word. Falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Timothy, time and time again, you're going to come against those who once held truth and once knew who God was. And yet they swerved, they moved, they went off track and they went after things that are of this world. And by compromising, they compromised not only themselves, but also they compromised their faith. Have a good conscience. Read the word. Stand in the word. Be a proclaimer of truth. That is the only job you have and because of that he finishes with grace grace Timothy be with you for you will need it for Paul fell we fall Timothy falls and every single one of us depend upon grace in the midst of what seems to be unmeasurable odds or a cavern that we seem to never be able to get to the other side of our own sin in the midst of it is the covering of grace you are forgiven you are my son you are my daughter grace is sufficient for your sin right now I'm leading you out of this valley I'm leading you into the green pastures but you have to keep having faith no matter what sin it is that still has a hold or what sin still has their sting in or on you or what you still find yourself shackled to whether it be pride or gossip or slander or whatever the list may be right down to lying itself you have grace if you continually repent Stay humble and broken and contrite in the presence of God, knowing that yes, you're to be loving, yes, you're to be gentle, but you're also to wage the good war. The only fight that we have to be passionate about is a fight for truth. For the devil is trying to attack truth. The devil is trying to erode truth. And the devil is trying to get into every single one of our ears because everyone's ears, including my own, are itchy for what we can still enjoy of this world and yet deny truth. Find ourselves, come underneath only that which is truth. Search out that which is truth. We've said before that we desire to be a church that we may not have great crest facilities, we may not have fantastic worship, but can we be a people who worship God from the heart? Can we be a people who desire hunger, thirst for righteousness and truth? For if we are those people, people will come. Because that is God's way of growing the church. That is how a small number of men sat in the upper room waiting for the full counsel of the Holy Spirit to come upon them to open their mind to the truth and to the knowledge of the scriptures. And they went out and they turned the world upside down. It does not come from being eloquent. It does not come from having a great methodology. It comes from one thing. Speak truth, as Paul says in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you will know that those who have ears to hear will hear it. Christ said the same thing. Paul reminds Timothy here. And we be reminded of ourselves. As I said, it's speaking to Timothy as an elder and leader of the church. But it applies to all of us. What are we willing to compromise 
What is the devil getting you to compromise this morning? What truth have you set aside underneath somebody or a pastor who may even have massive standing who's told you it's not for today? Is it? Because your faith may depend on it. My God, I thought I am made righteous by faith alone and Christ alone. Yes, you are. But you're to mature and to grow into that. What gospel do you believe? Do you believe the one that you're called to give everything up for, Christ? I heard this week of a famous Puritan pastor. who had a young man go up to him and say to him, I would give the world to preach how you preach with the power and authority and the Holy Spirit that I see in your preaching. And his answer to the young man was, that's exactly what you'll have to give. You have to give the world to be a follower of Christ. Does that mean we can't enjoy Christmas and the things that we have? Absolutely not. But anything, doesn't matter if it's TV, phones, internet, money, whatever it is, is making you compromise to get it. You are in unsteady ground. All of us are. That's why even if you find yourself on that ground this morning, God is gracious in his forgiving and love to say, if you will turn and repent, I'll give you grace to get you out of it. It may take a day, it may take an hour, it may take you 10 years of this thorn thrusting itself into your flesh, but it's there to keep you humble and contrite and to know my grace is sufficient. But only if you're at a point where Paul was, where he pleaded night and day to God to take it away. If we simply indulge under the illusion of grace, you're not in grace, you're in sin. You're in habitual sin that you're not really repenting over because you're not broken over it. I'll change it tomorrow. I know it's wrong. I know I'm called to be a man or woman of God, but I'm not that bad. Only one sin separates us from eternal glory in heaven with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If we do it, repent from it. Grace is sufficient. Remember that. Don't let the devil sting you with that. But know this, the power of the Holy Spirit is also sufficient to bring you out of any valley that you find yourself in. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.